Would you join me this morning in two passages of scripture? Let's begin in Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, and I want to read verses 1 through 8. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. Genesis 45, beginning at verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourself, because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Then if you would turn to Genesis chapter 50, and I want to read very quickly verses 15 through 20. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for, I, for am I in God's place? And as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Amen. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. I want to concentrate on just a single verse 
of verse 20 of chapter 50 as we highlight this prominent saying, one that has grown to be extremely impacting in one's addressing various circumstances in which evil appears to be prevailing in terms of winning, only to realize at the end of the episode, while one claims the victory, we can look back at this very verbiage and see it alive in your life. Says Joseph to his brothers who are fearful that Joseph may bring about some form of retaliation because of their previous demonstrated behavior in expressing to them, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. It should have been, but, that's my title, it should have been, but. As I keep reading and rereading and reflecting upon the words of both Genesis chapter 45 and in this 50th chapter, as I listen to the words of Joseph as he responds to his brothers, who again were fearful and were in a posture of fear, and rightfully so, but Joseph's words keep ringing, don't fear, and then he raises the question, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for the good to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. I keep listening and I keep hearing and I keep thinking about one word when I read this narrative from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. The word reversal. Reversal. Or as I've tried to simplify it by way of term, what should have been didn't turn out that way but God sent it another way. The valley should have bleached the bones, the dry bones, into extinction in Ezekiel 37. But God reversed the future of those bones through the lips of the prophet who spoke in the presence of death life Son of man, speak to the bones. What should have been a journey of shame and disappointment, God reverse Hosea's episode where the brokenness of his wife Gomar actually became the blessing in his life. Gomar, on the auction block, for purchase whose reputation 
was not that of the best. And Hosea, who is representing the bride Israel, is yet instructed to go down and purchase Gomar from the auction block. Gomar knows that she is not, at least in her mind and in the public perception, she's not worthy of what is about to happen. And what should have happened was perhaps she may have been purchased and her life would have gone into the oblivion. But God reversed it and used Hosea to demonstrate that what people mean for evil, when people write you off because of the history of your life, when people marginalize and distant you and try as best as they can to put you out on the fringe because your reputation may not be the best, God says, I can reverse that. And he sends Hosea to change the life of Gomer. And from that day forward, Hosea teaches us that no matter how far back you slide in your walk with God, he will always not only take you back, but will change your direction if you really wanted to go that way. What should have been the shame of Jesus' crucifixion became the entryway to heaven, the provision of salvation. What they meant for evil on that Friday, God meant for good on that Sunday morning. He preserved many that they may experience eternal life. And as I kept looking at this narrative about Joseph, he should have checked out a long time ago when you read the narrative of Genesis chapter 37 through 50. He should have cracked under the weight, the weight of life's misfortune that took him down a path of discouragement and despair. Or we might could argue simply that God was at work the whole time in Joseph's life, working all things together for the good. Let's think about this. On three separate occasions, at least three, Joseph should have thrown in the towel, should have given up on this race, should have folded up his tent for life, should have forsaken the dream that God had given him, should have succumbed to the perils of disappointment, but something on the inside of him, something kept him in the game, something kept him from quitting. He could have quit at any time, but God was stretching Joseph in every one of these episodes at least three times in the pit, in his promotion to the palace, 
and in the prison. Each of those occasions would have been a good time for Joseph to quit. Let's look at in the pit, Genesis chapter 37. It says that his dream, if you read the narrative, his dream intimidated his brothers. It evoked jealousy and anger. In fact, they assaulted him and threw him in a hole, a pit that was used for two things. One, either to preserve, to keep food cool, and you know you can actually keep food cold if you place it underground. It'll keep temperature in itself. Or to discard something, the hole, the pit, could have been a place where they would have discarded and burned trash. And either condition, Joseph is dropped into a pit and his whole life you think should have went toward disappointment and discouragement and dismay. His dream that he shares, that he was on top and his brothers were on the bottom, that he was the head and not the tail, that he was above and not beneath, his dream was even confronted and rejected not just by his brothers but by his father as well who looked at him and said you mean to tell me that not only your brothers but even your mother and I will be subject to you over us and the Bible says Joseph uh, Jacob just kept that dream kept those verbiages in his mind thinking and perhaps wondering why would his son share such a devastating dream that would of course discourage and anger and evoke jealousy in the lives of his brothers. One day Jacob sends Joseph out to check on his brothers to see what they are doing with the sheep. They have taken the sheep and moved to another location and Joseph cannot find them, but he is first given by his father a coat of multiple colors. And as he goes searching, he comes upon a gentleman who asks, who are you looking for? And he says, my brothers who are here taking care of the sheep of my fathers. And they said, oh, they have left here from Shechem and they have gone to Dothan. And he makes his way to Dothan and upon his brother's Seeing him approach, says the text, they begin to chime one to another. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. In fact, that would be the end of our challenge. And Reuben says, no, we can't get rid of him because that wouldn't be right for us to kill him. Let's just merely drop him in a pit. And they throw Joseph in the pit as he comes closer and they begin to remind him of his dream. And he says, oh yes, and let me tell you the second part of my dream. And after sharing the second part, they said enough is enough. Their hateration began to come alive. They began to know that we've got to do something to shut Joseph down. And they throw him into the pit. And that would have been a good time for Joseph to say, you know what, God, I appreciate you thinking about me and I appreciate you entrusting at least into me what you believe to be the dream for me. But to have this kind of reaction from both my father and my brothers is a bit too much for me. 
In fact, I'm just going to throw in the towel, give it up. I want to get out of this pit because in this space is nothing but darkness and I just cannot believe that this is a part of your plan. We should be able to correlate where Joseph is in the pit into our own life where there may be have times when we've had friends and family. We've had employees who threw us under the bus, who worked hard at discouraging the dreams to which we share to say to us that it's not possible, it's impossible. In fact, what you are dreaming is just only in your imagination. Duh, that's what a dream is, my imagination. But to suggest that you don't have the resources, they won't be made available to you, and no one will support where you're trying to go. We, we should have thrown in the towel and gave up on what we believe was the future and gave up on what we believe was the task of being an entrepreneur and gave up what we believe to be higher education. But something in us would not allow us to throw in the towel. In fact, the pit became a better spot than what we ever have imagined because at least in the pit, God now has me all by himself. God has my undivided attention. God now has me in a space where I have to recognize since there's nobody else around but me and God, I might as well share this time in talking with God and looking at myself. In fact, let me argue that whenever you are thrown in the pit of life, here's what can happen. Number one, you can gain some unbelievable strength. Even though the pit might be dark and you might have to find and swim your way through that darkness, rest for sure that if you are in that pit because God allowed it to happen, God's got the responsibility to protect you and to take care of you and to make sure you don't go without, but yet God will give you strength. Strength to be able to stand strong when everyone thinks you should fall down. Strength to be able to hold your head high when they think you should drop your head. And strength to persevere. Though they slay me, yet I'm going to trust them. I want to borrow from Daniel that Daniel says whenever you're thrown into a pit and even when there are lions in that pit, if you trust God, God will give you the strength to be able to tame the lion even while you are in the pit where you should have been devoured. God will not only give you the strength of why you are in the pit, watch this because you're all by yourself, God will help you get strength and give you a song. Sometimes you can't get your singing aspiration on until you are all by yourself and the conditions all around you will begin to help you realize I need to get a song in my heart that'll help me get through these dark moments. And there's somebody in here this morning, you had to sing your way through some trouble. You had to sing your way through some heartache. You had to sing your way through some disappointment. You had to sing your way in some tears because God gives you a song even while you are in the pit. 
He not only will give you strength and give you a song, but God will also, most importantly, bring about salvation to your household. If it hadn't been for the pit, you would know that God's hand is able to deliver you out of the pit because you were placed in the pit. God reached his hand down and walked you out of the pit. And if he didn't walk you out of the pit, God allowed your enemy to throw dirt back into the pit. And every time they throw a shovel in, you step a little higher and step a little higher until you came out and they were trying to wonder how in the world that you come out of the pit the way that you look and you said I know I don't look like I feel and I may not look like what I've been through but I can tell you grace and mercy has kept me safe thus far there is something to be learned about being in the pit but one thing you don't want to do is throw in the towel and Joseph should have thrown in the towel but he didn't he stood his ground and watched God do some wonderful things while he was in the pit you want to know what I think happened although the text wasn't written at that time but do you know what I what I think happened Joseph caught a glimpse of Psalm 27 just a glimpse just a glimpse at least by way of the verb is Joseph got a hold of what was happened that gave him his strength his song and his salvation all wrapped up in Psalm 27 L listen to these shouting news the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Can you imagine what possibly could have happened while Joseph was in the pit? The wild animals that perhaps could smell the possibility of a meal down in the pit. But could it be that God kept them away, kept evil away, kept trouble away, kept danger all the way? Because when God's got a purpose for your journey, God's responsible to take care of you. Look what he says. Though a host of of, of encamp all about me my heart will not feel though war is rise against me in spite of that I shall be confident why this one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life because in the pit I am the choir, I am the preacher, I am the deacon, I am the trustee, I am the usher, I am the sexton, I am the musician, I'm everybody in the pit because I'm dwelling in the house of the Lord all by myself. And is there anybody who can recognize there sometime you got to have church all by yourself when there is no preacher and there is no deacon to pray and there is no musician and there is no choir. You got to do it all by yourself yourself you got to pat yourself on the back you got to speak a word to yourself you got to pray yourself through you got to preach yourself through you got to have church all by yourself and here it is he said I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple and when you're in a pit I don't know how much distraction you can get in a pit what else is there to do but meditate 
that I might keep my mind in perfect peace in this pit condition. Look what it says, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. That means he'll hide me. He will keep me from trouble. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Anybody ever been protected by God? At least you come to recognize now after the fact that what should have been was not because God reversed what should have happened to me. And he says in verse 6, now my head will be lifted above all my enemies around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts and with joy. Look at what the psalmist says. God will raise your head up, 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 up above your enemies. Because Joseph's brothers just knew that when they threw him in the pit that that would be the end of Joseph. Not to know that when God is with you, who can be against you? And in the pit, says the psalmist, I will sing with joy and with shout. Now, in the pit, here's the glorious thing about shouting in the pit. No one can tell you that you're making too much noise. When you're in the pit all by yourself, no one can say that they wish you would sit down no one can tell you it don't take all that because in the pit, it's just you and God in worship. Here he is, verse 7, he says, Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. When thou doest say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, Lord, I shall seek your face. Because in the pit, who else? And where else will you look but up? So here comes the words of the Psalms again. I will lift mine eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. Because my help comes from the Lord. Verse 9, after asking God to take care of him when he cries out, don't hide his face from him. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me and do not turn thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. And could it be that Joseph is suggesting to us that this might be the first time that you've heard about a pit in my life, but I've been in a pit before. And I want to believe that I'm certain that uh, there are many of us in this room this morning, we might be in a pit now, but this is not the first pit you've been in. You've had this moment before, and this is the moment where God has proven not to forsaken you, but to comfort you. Look what he says, don't abandon me, nor forsake me, verse 9, God of my salvation. Because I know if I'm coming out of this pit, it's going to be by your mighty hand. It's going to be by your grace. Lord, if anything can be done, you can do it. Verse 10, for when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. Joseph is in the pit. And could it be that Joseph might be going through his mind, I will never see my father again. His mother is deceased. Rebecca died. I mean, Rachel died in giving birth to him, so he know he won't see his mother. But his father 
What if I die in this pit? I will never see my father again. But he knows that God's not going to let him die in the pit. For if they would have even forsaken me, the Lord will pick me up. So he does the one thing that we ought to do when you're trapped in a pit. Look at verse 11. Teach me. Teach me your way, Lord. Not only teach me what you would have me to learn, and let me tell you this again, I've told you before, but let me share it again. Don't ever go through a trial and don't learn something. It's an awful experience to go through a hard time and not learn something from the experience. He says, not only teach me, but now that I'm learning what your will is, lead me. Is that what your Bible says? That's what my Bible said. Lead me. Look at that. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Because God, when you bring me out of this pit, guess what? I got to go back in the presence of my enemy. I got to get right back into the real world and function. And I need you to not only teach me, but lead me that I can survive. Look at verse 11, verse 12. Do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversary, because there are some folk who just hate and they want to see me die in this pit. But don't give them the satisfaction, God. Don't give them the pleasure. Bring me out, for false witnesses have risen against me, my brothers, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I want to submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that this morning while you are in your pit, you have to have the expectation that while I'm in here, I want God to teach me and I want God to lead me, but you got to have the expectancy that I'm going to see the goodness that will come out of this pit because what someone meant for evil I've got to believe that God is going to turn around for the good. There's going to be a reversal in this process. And then he says, I want to see the goodness of the Lord. Here's what I love. This is what I'm shouting about. Not when I get to heaven. I, I am disturbed by these other worldly-minded individuals. Just wait. You'll get it when you get to glory. Just wait. It'll all happen when you get to glory. How about now? I want to see it now because look at what he says. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord, not in heaven, but he says, in the land of the living. Right where I exist right now, I, I want to see God move. And then he encourages us, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait, I say, on the Lord. And while in the pit, where else you going to go but wait? Especially when there is no way out of the pit but up. Joseph is in the pit. Genesis 37 says he probably should have threw in the tile, but he didn't. And God showed up in a strange way. Read the 37th chapter of Genesis. It says that his brothers, when they had saw traveling Ishmaelites who were on their way to Egypt, they picked Joseph out of the pit 
and sold him to these traveling Ishmaelites. When the Ishmaelites get to town, they sell Joseph again. They sell him to a man named Potiphar, who is head of security in Pharaoh's household. What looks like an evil endeavor ends up being God actually bringing about deliverance in a strange way. He should have died in the pit. But God reversed it where what they meant for evil by selling him to the traveling merchants was really nothing more than God's manner of delivering Joseph out of the pit and to bring him now to a space where he will experience promotion to the palace. When he is sold to Potiphar, you got to read the text. The Bible says that when he is sold to Potiphar, he is lifted out of that pit. He experiences what I call a promotion. He moves from being down in the pit to now being back above ground. Don't know about you, but I like above ground a whole lot better than being beneath ground. But the Bible says in chapter 39, when you read Joseph's promotion, the Bible says that when Potiphar saw Joseph, it says in verse, 30, verse 3 and 4, chapter 39, that he saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Now, here's an interesting question. Here's an interesting question. How does Potiphar know who the Lord is? Potiphar doesn't give us any indication that he is the worship of Yahweh. In fact, he very well may be an Egyptian himself, and so he serves many gods. How in the world do he know who the Lord is? I want to submit to you that when God is providentially involved in making a way out of no way for you, God will use people who don't even know who he is and they can't recognize nor understand why they are opening the door for you. Potiphar, all Potiphar knew was I saw God in this man named Joseph. Part of a might say, I don't know who God, what God it was, but I saw some divinity in this man. The text says that he saw the Lord was with Joseph and caused everything that Joseph did to prosper, which leads me to believe that when Potiphar bought him, he immediately began to recognize as he worked through the days that there was something promising about Joseph's life. And Potiphar says, I... I see this, and I, I like this guy. He, he's, he's a Hebrew, but I, I like him. There's something about his skill. So the Bible says that Joseph found favor and became the personal servant of Potiphar. And Potiphar, check this out, gave him command over his entire household. But wait a minute. He was in the pit. Now he gets promoted from the pit to the palace. Maybe, maybe both Potiphar and Joseph is trying to tell us particularly that when God is on your side, no matter how they try to shut the door, 
God will open the door. Once again, in Joseph's statement that he would make later, what you meant for evil, God meant it for the good. Remember the objective in all of this? God is preserving so that the people will have a remnant that will be alive during this famine. See, there's a famine in the land. And I don't want to tell you about that quite yet because we haven't gotten to Joseph's dreams yet. But there, there's something going on and God is preserving what's going to happen. So that whatever they think that they can extinguish your fire or your witness, God will make the light flicker every single time. But in the promotion, there's a problem. Genesis 39 says that Potiphar's wife found Joseph to be one fine brother. In fact, when you read the text, it says that day in and day out, she kept giving old Joe the eye. She would position herself to be seen perhaps in compromising postures. She would at least give Joseph the indication that I'm available if you are. And the Bible says she made advances to Joseph so much so that she finally came out and took a bold stand. I want you to hook up with me. And Joseph, in moving from the pit to now the palace by way of promotion, Joseph knows that he's now on dangerous ground. In fact, her passing at him advances is an attempt to disrupt his promotion in the palace. And because Joseph would not adhere to her advances, she creates false accusations against Joseph. False accusations that cause Joseph to cop a case that gave him a prison sentence. Now, the natural eye would look at Joe and say this. Okay, Joe, let's, let's look at this scenario. Ain't nobody but you and Miss Potiphar. She has the power, and likewise you, to make everybody leave the room, get out of the palace completely. Won't be nobody but you and her. This is men talk in the shop. I mean... What's up, are you? I mean, I'm trying, I mean, help me out, Joe. I mean, I'm, you know, the way I'm thinking is, you know, you ought to roll through this thing. I mean, you don't want nobody to know but you. In fact, Mrs. Potiphar suggested the same idea. Won't nobody know what's going on in here but you and I. I promise you, I keep it all to myself. But whenever God delivers you from the pit and God gives you a promotion out of the pit and you end up at the level of the palace, rest for sure that Satan always is in the palace waiting because he has a temptation 
to topple from where you are to where he thinks you need to be, which is back down in the pit. And if you could read Genesis 39, you will hear Joseph's response. Joseph says, first of all, let me remind you of something. Potiphar cared so much about me and trusted me so much that he made me head over everything in his household except you. And according to my own Hebrew law, moral law, I don't want you anyway. I don't need you. That would be crossing the line of morality and the marital sanction or the marital sacredness of the sanction of marriage. Secondly, it ain't really about Potiphar. But I know who delivered me from the pit. And I know who gave me my promotion. And I know that I can send everybody out of the room, the room and the house. And nobody will know this but you and I and one other person. Because God knows everything that I'm doing. And God will see everything that I'm doing and I want to remain faithful to God because God has remained faithful to me. What should have been, but God, in the life of Joseph, recognized that it wouldn't be in my goodwill to lose the morality. Here it is, here it is. And not just the morality, but to compromise my integrity. And then make me feel worse than I ever could feel because I violated the trust that God has in me. You can yield to temptation. But in doing so, you're going to have to deal with the consequence. But if you remember that your integrity is important, that your standards important and that you have to realize you have too much to lose to lower your standard. Here's, here's a word, here's a word. Never apologize for having high standards because people who really want to be in your life will rise up to your standard. And Joseph was really telling Miss Potiphar, you can't rise up the way I am and keep the integrity of your marriage and even the integrity of me, then I'm out of here. And the Bible says that Joseph ran, and as he was running, she grabbed and caught a hold of his coat. And then when Mr. Potiphar got home, she says, look. First she told the servants, look what this Hebrew have done. He came in and he tried to attack me and to take my sacredness from me. I got his coat to show you he was in my space. And Mr. Potiphar believed the report. On the run, Joseph probably should have thought about, it might be time for me to throw in the towel, to get out of it. But what kept Joseph going was what I call preventive perseverance. Joseph said, no, I'm not giving up because I'm going to believe that God will bring about justice somehow. And even when Joseph hears from Potiphar, 
I know the story that Mrs. Potiphar told. But I got to believe her, Joe. And I got to put you in prison. Joseph is stunned. What? You know I wouldn't do this to you. You know I, I would not violate your wife. You know I wouldn't do anything that would compromise a relationship you and I have. I know. But as a side note, humorously, Joe, I got to go back to Miss Potiphar this evening. And you don't know like I know. If I make a different decision, man, I'm going to be staying in your house and not my own tonight. So now Joseph goes from the pit to the palace to prison. He should have threw in the towel, you think, in the pit. He didn't. He should have threw in the towel, you would think, at the palace after what Miss Potiphar did, but he didn't. Now he's in prison. What kept him from quitting in prison was two things. Remember, he's thrown there, but if you read Genesis chapter 39 all the way to chapter 41, you're going to find this phrase. But the Lord was with Joseph. You're going to find that phrase to be popping up all over the place because while he's introduced into prison, even in prison, Joseph finds favor with the prison captain. The captain promotes Joseph again and now makes him captain over the entire prison where everybody now reports to Joseph. Talking about making your haters mad. He not only made them mad out of prison, now that he's in prison, he's making all those who were there in prison mad. I can hear some of them now. I've been here for 15 years in this prison, and I've done everything I'm supposed to, and this joker come in here, ain't been here but a minute, and he already the captain of the guard. What they meant for evil, God uses for the good. He's in prison. And you would think that Joseph would say, this is it, I'm done, I'm done, God. I, I recognize now you ain't with me, you done left me, it's over with, this ain't worth it, I'm throwing in the towel. But two things happen when God lets you go into prison. The first thing is that Joseph, while he's in the prison, he ends up surviving because he's prophetic. Remember why he's there. There's a baker and a butler. And they have these dreams. They can't figure out what's going on. The one says, I got this dream, man, and I see, I see birds all around me and the top of my head, and, and I don't know what that means. And the other says, I, I have a dream, and I see me just baking all before the Pharaoh, and I've got things abundantly happen, and Joseph says, oh, I, I can tell you what, what that is. You may not like it, but I'm going to tell you what it is. Mr. Butler, you might want to 
I want to get ready. You, you, you're going to be serving Pharaoh again. But Mr. Baker, the birds flying around on top of your head, that means they're going to be picking your flesh, bro. It's not a good, not a good outcome for you. But Joseph engages the prophetic that God gave him. Dream. And if you think about it, go back and read chapter 37. Here in Genesis, Joseph never forgets the dream that God gives him. That's why you can't dream small. You got to dream large because small dreams don't motivate your big dreams do. When Joseph interprets the dream, he says, I ain't got but one request for you. Do me a favor, man. When you go to Pharaoh, remember me. Joseph is prophetic, but here's why I think he stayed. Joseph is patient. I think it's Genesis 41, you begin to read, it says Joseph stayed in prison two years before he ever hears a word from those he interpreted dreams before. In fact, two years pass and Pharaoh begins to have a dream and Pharaoh consults everyone in his cabinet and no one can interpret Pharaoh's dream until baker i mean the butler said i know a guy hebrew guy down there in jail yeah good guy yeah he he did it for me and i can tell you what he said in the back of his mind yeah you know i do remember god he told me to remember him when i got here it's been two years i hope he speak to a brother after two years he goes down and gets Joseph, and Joseph comes, and Pharaoh says, I got this dream, but nobody can interpret. Can you help me out? He says, sure, tell me what it is. He says, I have seven fatted calves and seven weakened little calves. And the problem is the weakened calves eat up the healthy calves. And then I have seven full Shears of corn, bushels of corn, and then I have seven weakened-looking corn, and the weak corn eats up the good corn. And Joseph said, that's, that's easy. Here it is. Seven years, you're going to have prosperity in reaping and sowing. But then there's going to be seven years of famine. And he says, what I would suggest to you, Mr. Pharaoh, that you do is you need to appoint someone to oversee, put a plan in, in place that we start preserving some of the grain because when that time comes, it's going to be a famine in the land and no matter what you grow or attempt to grow, no matter what seeds anyone put in the ground, nothing's going to come out for seven years. You store up grain, though. And when they come down to Egypt, we can sell them grain. That's how you know Joseph must have been a capitalist. He's he talking about selling grain, making a profit, putting some in preserve. And then it'll get us through the seven years. But my point was, Joseph, for two years, didn't hear anything. And there might be somebody here today that you've been praying for the last two years, three years, four years. You've been fasting for who knows how long. You've been believing that God would do so, and nothing has been done yet. Joseph says, practice patience. You might say, 
It's been five years. Don't you think that's patience long enough? Joseph might say, remember, God's timing is not your timing. But God should recognize that I have been suffering for the last five years, and I'm kind of tired of this right now. And Joseph might say, but you are still alive to tell us that you're suffering. And then you might say, I might be alive to say that, but I tell you what, if this is what I got to endure for the next five years, I'd rather go home and be on in glory and be with the Lord. And Joseph might say, have you not heard the story of Elijah who said the same thing? And God had to visit Elijah to just remind him, you ain't coming home until I get ready for you to come home. In the meantime, get yourself together Put on your boots, put on your big girl and big boy pants, put your helmet on, get ready to fight and hold your ground. And Job says, by the way, hold it until your change comes. Patience. And Paul comes back and tells us in Romans chapter 5, it's patience that strengthens hope. In other words, Paul says you can't have any way of strengthening your patience and hope unless you got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You got to be submitted to the pit or the prison sometimes and then watch how God bring you up to the palace. Well, you know the story. When Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh elevates him he becomes prime minister of Egypt. He gets the people through the years of abundance, but then there's the famine. I'm coming home now. I'm about done now. Here's what happened. This is why, let me encourage you. I know the temptation to do it is highly motivating, but don't do it. Don't retaliate to your enemies. Let God handle them. What the brothers didn't know, Joseph's brothers, that there was going to be a famine in the land. You go back to Genesis chapter 45, the text that I read, and Joseph's brothers had no clue that God was going to shut up growth in the land. They had no clue that the same hand that they held to throw in the prison to throw in the pit, should I say, would be the same hand that would stretch out and deliver them from their poverty. They had no clue that when God would bring Joseph out of the pit and bring him to the palace and then let him go to prison and then bring him back to the palace again, that when Joseph stepped out in his new attire, that God would not only give him brand new clothes, but God even changed the whole countenance and the look of Joseph's face. His hair didn't look the same. His cheeks didn't look the same. His lips didn't look the same. His eyes didn't look the same. Because when his brothers came to town and they needed to buy grain, they had no idea who Joseph was as they stood before him. 
until there finally became an exchange where Joseph recognized who they was and Joseph set up things where he put the cup in, the, in his brother's, uh, ba uh, in, in his brother's uh, donkey's bag and they end up going off and the guards captured him and bring him back and Joseph said, tell you what, uh, what about my father? What about your father? And they tell him about his father. His father is out in Canaan in the famine suffering and he's about to die and he says, listen, do me a favor, go back, get your younger brother and bring him back here. Then I know you're telling me the truth. Right now, I think y'all gangsters trying to get me and trying to take my grain. They go and bring back Benjamin. And when they bring back Benjamin, Joseph looks at Benjamin and it breaks him down because he hasn't seen his brother since he was a small. In fact, he didn't even know that Benjamin was born. And now that he sees Benjamin, he says, tell you what. Go back and get your father, but as a peace offering, leave Benjamin here with me. That way, if you don't come back, I got your brother. And tell your daddy, he better come here if you want to see his son again. They go back and tell Jacob what's going on. Jacob says, how in the world could you do that? Why did you leave my boy there? My other son, Joseph, is dead. How could you leave my son, Benjamin? And they said, daddy, we didn't have any choice. We would not be able to buy grain if we didn't leave him there. And now, in order for us to get our brother back, we got to take you there so that he can see you. And as a result, he will give up who our brother is back to us. And make a long story short, when Jacob comes back to Egypt, when Joseph looks and sees from a distance that here comes his father and the rest of the caravan, you read the story in the book of Genesis and it says that Joseph says, give him the best of the land. In fact, Pharaoh says, is that your family? Give them the best of the land that we have here in Egypt. Did you hear what I'm saying? Listen to what God does. I'm telling you what they meant for evil. Give them the best of the land. When they get back before Joseph, Joseph says, I think I pushed this thing long enough. 45, chapter 45. Come here, come closer. Don't you know who I am? I'm your brother, Joseph. Look at me real good. You can't, you, you, you can't see me. This is me. The one you threw in the pit. Did that, did that jar your memory? You threw me in the pit, remember? This is me. Fear came over them. But Joseph said, don't trip. Because when I think about how good God has been to me after the evil that you've attempted to do, I'm not going to trip because God has brought me not only a mighty long way, but all along the way, he supplied all of my need, taking care of me, giving me an abundant family, and look where he has set me. I'm not trying to retaliate against you. Read chapter 45 in the verses I gave you. Joseph said, in fact, you didn't even do this. You didn't even know. This wasn't you. This was God at work. 
God sent me here because God knew a famine was coming and God also knew would nobody be kind to my people but me so he allowed me to get thrown in the pit by you and then be picked up by the Israelites and then be sold to Pharaoh and in return be elevated get to prison elevated again God did that so I would be in this seat to save you from dying during the famine In other words, Joseph was saying, it, sh it should have went another way. But the God that I serve does exceedingly and abundantly above all that I ever could ever ask or think. I should have been dead sleeping in my grave. But the God that I serve watched over me and brought me back from that place of death I should have been seriously ill to the point of being hospitalized but the God that I serve is a healer in fact he's not just a healer but he's a restorer I shouldn't have been able to go to the college that I went to but the God that I serve knows how to touch people's hearts who opened the door for me and even paid my way for tuition. I'm talking about how God can make a way out of no way, can open doors that no man can shut. When they think that it should have went another way, you got the butt factor, God. Who worked it out for me. And Jacob died says chapter 50 Jacob dies and his brothers says now let's go tell Joseph that his father is dead and then they said but what if Joe cops another attitude and want to kill us what if he remember that we did him wrong and this is how you know you're blessed this is how you know God has worked it out for you. This is how you know God has broken the chains. This is how you know God has helped you overcome jealousy. This is how you know God didn't allow you to get angry at folk who mistreat you. This is how you know God is in control of your life. This is how you know that you don't have to worry about what your haters say. Joseph looked at them and said, man, listen, don't, don't worry about that. Remember, I told you before, God did this so I'd be right here at this appointed time. And what you meant for evil. Can you think for a moment? Think, just stop for a moment. Think, think, think for a moment. Think about what some folk had done to you over your life, and they had meant evil, trying to hurt you and destroy you, trying to take your life and wrench it in different directions. But what they meant for evil, God reversed it, and it worked out for the good. Some of us got scars from what people attempted to do by way of evil. And every time we look or think of the scar that we have, it creates an emotion. But the emotion is not a bad emotion. But someone might look at the scar, if it's visible, and be able to ask you, where did that come from? You say, you know what? This, this was an experience in my life, and it was painful, and it should have went another way but God gave me the grace 
and the strength and the hope and the power and the perseverance. And although it's a scar, I learned some lessons that I otherwise probably would have never known. And I found out that God was a healer and that God was a sustainer and that God was a keeper and that God was a friend and that God was a comforter and that God was a father and that God would be a mother and that God would hold you and that God would provide for you. I found all that out when it should have went one way. But God turned it to another. And although I may not be where I'd like to be, I thank God I'm not where I used to be. And now, when I see my enemy, Because in the pit, God gave me strength, God gave me a song, God gave me salvation. But when God promoted me and put me in the palace, God gave me power to resist. And I'm going to tell you about part of his wife. But he also gave me power to retreat. Ain't nothing wrong with running sometimes. You need to run sometimes so you can see another day. God gave me the power to retrieve, and then God gave me the power to reflect. To say, you know what, I'm glad I ran. Let them talk about me, I don't care. I'll run every time if it preserves my life another day. But then, in the prison, God gave me grace. God gave me a gift, and God gave me himself. In that prison, God taught me New Testament concept, greater is he that is in me. And God is trying to teach you that the palace is, I mean, that the pit is not the end of your journey. The pit is going to lead you to a promotion, a promotion to better know God. And watch this, a promotion where even God will so work in you by way of your own character that it will change your life once you come out of the pit. It will give you promotion and then that promotion to the palace where God will have you to be. And even if you have to experience another prison, watch God bring you out again. Because when you think about what should have been, what direction it should have gone, it went another way. Because God is a God of reversal. Those three boys, let me let you go. Nebuchadnezzar put him in the furnace. He was sure that he would finally shut them up. End of their life talking about Yahweh. And putting him in that furnace told the gods to turn the heat up seven times hotter. That should have been the end of them. In fact, not the fire, just the heat alone from the fire should have distinguished them or extinguished them. But he comes back and takes a peek in the window again. 
and God in his reversing element tips toe out of heaven and puts his hand while he's going into the fire onto the thermostat. Not outside where Nebuchadnezzar is. I don't, I don't want him to see a change out there. I want him to look inside and see what appears to be a burning furnace is actually an Arctic getaway. And I can tell you how I know who brought the freeze in the context. Did we not put three? But there's a fourth one. See, he, he forgot that the fourth one is the creator of all things, says Galatians chapter 1. He forgot that the fourth one in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and by him all things were created. He forgot that the fourth one made the fire. He said, why do I see a fourth one looking like the Son of Man standing in there? Because God reversed it when he told the gods, open the door and bring them out. When he brought them out, can you see them pimping out like they've been down Chicago's Fifth at all day long? Coming on out, just hanging out. And the Bible says not one hair was burned, not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. Everything was intact because the God that we serve, when he reverses everything, what they meant for evil, God will turn it for the good. How you know that, Pastor? Because you're here. Because you're here. He tried to kill you. He tried to kill you. The angels all around you. All over your head. Grace intervening. What should have been a destruction ends up being deliverance because God reverses. Lord, somebody in this house today needs your reversing hand. They're in a space where they need you to reverse their life Give them that miraculous moment where they see how you bring about change. Oh, God, what people mean for evil. Move, God, so that we can see your good. I'm convinced today that you're working it out for the good. You're bringing all things together. Somebody today is going to recognize that their pit is not the end. Their promotion is not the end. The prison is not the 